We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. We conclude today's show with a remembrance of Michael Castro. He was St. Louis's first poet laureate who died earlier this week. But before we talk to a couple of people who knew him well, I thought we should start listening to a recording of Castro reading a poem he wrote in 2015. It's called, We Need to Talk. I'm more than your idea. I'm tangible, touchable, a human being like you. We breathe the same air, want the same things. We need to talk. I'm more than my skin tone, more than the weight I bear, more than the clothes I wear, more even than my hair, more than who I sexually prefer, more than my accented speech. Hear me, we need to talk. So get out of your closed mind, it's claustrophobic in there. Thoughts fester if they can't expand. Let's meet, get out of your car, into the street, Let's discover each other on common ground. We need to talk. I say, take off your armor, put away your gun. Don't just stare dumbly into your smartphone. Hello, or as they say in the East, namaste and savati. The God in you honors the God in me. We need to talk. That was poet Michael Castro, reading from his poem, We Need to Talk, when he was a guest on St. Louis on the Air in 2015. Michael Michael Castro died this past Sunday. He was a well-known, well-respected poet. He taught at UMSL and Lindenwood. He was one of the founders of the poetry magazine River Sticks, and he was the the city of St. Louis's first poet laureate. Castro was a New Yorker by birth, but came to St. Louis in the early 1980s to obtain his Ph.D. at Washington University in American Literature with a focus on Native American mythology and culture. He spent his time here bridging the gaps between poets and artists from across the spectrum of the region's communities. He died from colon cancer at age 73. If you want to share your reflections about Michael Castro, please do give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org or go ahead and tweet at us at STL on air. And joining me now in studio are two people who know even more about Michael Castro's legacy. Um, we have Treasure Shields, a poet and educator in her own right. Thank you so much. I'm sorry, Treasure Shields Redmond. Yes. yes. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Thank you. And we have poet and essayist Jason Vassar Elong. Hi. Hi. Thank you both so much for, for coming and um, talking about Michael Castro. I want to start out with first just asking you both, what, what made him unique as a poet? Oh. Um, you know what? He was unique in his staying power and his commitment to being the ultimate reflection of diversity. He was such a jewel of a kind of a person, too. He was a Sephardic Jew. That's that's not someone you'll meet all the time. There aren't a lot of them. <laughs> not in this country. Uh, right, exactly. Right. Not in this country. In the Iberian Peninsula and North Africa, but not so much here. So he was this brown uh, Latinx Sephardic Jew who was committed to creating 
uh, a world around him that was like the world inside him. Mm-hmm. All these influences, all these cultures. And that's just part of what made him so special. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jason? And to add to that, um, to many people, you know, he was many different things. But Michael Castro never met a stranger. Mm. You know, he was a type of person that, you know, when you met him, you were met with a bright smile. You were met with kind energy. And he was a person that um, listened to you, no matter how unimportant you may feel you were, he made you feel important in his presence. So that was the type of person that he was to me. What was your, what was your uh, relationship with him? Was it professional or um, was he a mentor? It was both. It started out as a professional relationship. Um, I met uh, Michael Castro years ago, but we started to work intimately together um, on the Brick City Poetry Festival. And uh, he put together what's called uh, the Unity Community. It was a community of poets that came together to put on this festival. And uh, we met at his home in New City, and we would often meet and discuss how we can bring the poetry community together, both the academic poets, the spoken word poets. You know, how can we bring the community together to do some things for our community? And so that was my um, intimate working with him, um, you know, back in the early, you know, 2015 um, uh, era. But it, it morphed into a friendship, a mentorship, and we would just have coffee, we would talk, we would laugh, we would joke. He was someone who um, I was very fond of, and he was fond of me, you know, just as a person. And he found time, as busy as he was, he found time um, for me specifically. And I think he did that for many different people. Um, but for me, he was uh, was definitely a friend of mine. Mm. Um, he actually also wrote the introduction to my book, my debut collection of poetry entitled Shrimp. Um, and I was actually reading an, an, a, um, an article by Chris King, and Chris King of the St. Louis American mentioned that, you know, Michael Castro had a hard time saying no to you. Mm. Anytime he, <laughs> you know, you presented with him an idea, he mm-hmm. said, yeah, sure, let's do it. And that was, he was such a genteel spirit, and he just made a way to make it happen for you, mm. however he can do that. And so, yes, for me, um, the relationship was both um, professional, but also very personal. That's wonderful. And mm-hmm. uh, Treasure, you're laughing. I have a feeling your relationship might go farther back even. Um, actually, you know what? His He was very close to my father. Mm-hmm. So I was close to him in the way that when your dads are besties, yeah. <laughs> that, you, <laughs> that you, so I was, you know, very much like a niece or um, a daughter in a way. Uh, but he had so many of those types of relationships. So I don't want to overstate our closeness. The true, the signature relationship was between my dad, Eugene B. Redmond, who is Poet Laureate of East St. Louis, Illinois, and had been since 1976, uh, and him, because uh, when my dad returned from uh, an appointment at um, uh, UC Sacramento, in the 80s, Michael Castro was here walking the talk. And that's one of the things that really shined to me from what um, Jason was saying is that he was such an or, such an arts organizer, too. Mm-hmm. Like founding the River Sticks magazine, mm-hmm. which has such an incredible national reputation. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. Toni Morrison, Robert Bly, mm-hmm. all of those incredible writers that have been a part of that to this most recent thing, which was gifting all of the audio 
from years of the River Styx readings to Washington University. I don't know if you even knew about that. I do not know about that. Tell me more. It's fantastic. So uh, just think of, you know, every important writer, uh, about four to six national laureates, U.S. laureates, had come to read at this longstanding River Styx reading. Mm -hmm. And he would record them. So there's an audio archive now that the city has this incredible gift. And I'm particularly interested in the audio be- because my doctoral work is on recorded performances of poets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his stuff was so sound rich. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's gifted us this audio archive just goes along with that. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and hearing the poems read by the actual poet. I mean, just mm-hmm. listening to Michael Kester just now, mm-hmm. it's, it's a, I mean, obviously <laughs> I'm in the audio field, so I know mm-hmm. the importance or the, or the richness that comes with actually hearing, you know, mm-hmm. somebody's own work. Um, you, you both referenced the bridging of gaps and how committed he was to diversity. And um, I, I want to hear more about what he did, both in terms of diversity, but also in terms of artists and bringing artists together. Um, was it only in the poet poet community or oh, no. it went beyond that, oh, no, right? It went yeah. beyond that. In, any any way that art can be used to impact community, Michael Castro was about that type of work. Um, he, from the very start of his career, he was very, he was a type of person that wanted to bring poetry out of the ivory tower and into the streets where it belonged to the people. And so very early on, he he wanted to bridge the the gap between what it means to be an academic poet or uh, a spoken word or slam poet, you know, to him they're one and the same. You know, we're all doing the work. You know, uh, maybe different from different perspectives, but we all have something to to add to the to the table. And he was very he was the type of person that wanted to see the unity between artists, between people, in particularly. You know, he was he was the type of poet, the type of person that just by his nature was the type of person that wanted, just wanted to bring people together. Mm-hmm. Just That's what his passion was. Um, I think and from all the books that he's written and all the poems that he's, he's written, the common thread in all of them is unity. It's togetherness, mm. you know, and that's something that beyond you know, the scope of poetry or visual art or music, which is something he was really into, was performing his poems to music. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a very musical musicality to his work mm-hmm. you know um, he worked a lot in meter he worked a lot in, in not so much form but he used music mm-hmm. and, and in fact he and I were having coffee at his house um, a week or so before he passed away and he was telling me about an opportunity he had to uh, I believe it's something dealing with the symphony but one of his poems was being turned into like some type of a production wow. using music. And for him, that was a dream because he's always been a musical type of person. He, whenever he did poems, you, you would closely find music closely akin to what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, e- either the poem was about music, it was to music, it was about music. It, it was, mm. he was a he was a type of person that didn't really see poetry as just one type of art form and involved all different types of art. Right. And what was your observations about bringing communities together? Uh, well, I mean, most recently with the Unity in the Community movement, mm-hmm. the Brick City Poetry Festival, mm-hmm. of course, his foundational work with River Sticks. It was an intentional, diverse editorial staff, diverse on the pages, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, he always tried to locate the readings in a part of St. Louis that was kind of equal ground for um, diverse types of people. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that was really what mattered to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talked about the music. One of my favorite memories is my dad would first of all, the whole can't say no thing. Because yes. I can imagine <laughs> that there were several times that my dad was like, come do this reading in East St. Louis where he was like, oh, I'd rather be sleeping. But he <laughs> <laughs> but he but he came through. He came at a moment's notice mm-hmm. and stayed. And, you know. Uh, they were both in their 70s, and now my dad is in his 80s. Uh, so, you know, they can talk. Um, mm-hmm. Things can get a little long-winded. And um, <laughs> he would make it a point to stay front till the end. None of this narcissistic poet stuff where I read my poems and I leave. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I've got to cough and I've got to go. He was there no matter what point at what point he was on the program. And he would always do that Miles poem mm-hmm. where he would mimic the meter and melody of all blues. Mm-hmm. So Miles so, Davis's song. Yes. Yeah. So he, the poem just had the word miles in it. But it was miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, these are wonderful stories. I'm, I'm curious. I mean, St. Louis was a little late to the game with even having a poet laureate. So mm-hmm. what did True. it mean to him <laughs> to be named um, a poet laureate of St. Louis? And, be, and the first one, like apparently it was a slam dunk decision. Mm-hmm. I think he would have done the work without the title. Personally. He was doing the work he without the title. He was doing the, the work without the title. <laughs> so for him, it was just more confirmation that he was doing the type of work that St. Louis wanted to see. And so, you know, him having the post of poet laureate was a way for him to say, okay, now I can go do these things I've always wanted to do. Um, under this, you know, umbrella of being the poet laureate. Now I can do the Brick City Poetry Festival. Now we can, I can say these things and do these things that I've always wanted to do anyway, you know. So for him, um, you know, having St. Louis, have, we have a rich literary community anyway. We think of T.S. Eliot, E.E. E. Cummings, all these different writers that come out of our city. You know, Michael Castro was just so, he could have been anywhere in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He could have stayed in New York. He could have went back to New York. He could have been went to Hungary because he was big into translated poems. Well, he um, did a work in, with Hungarian poets, and he was just he could have been anywhere in the world, mm-hmm. but he chose to stay here in St. Louis because he loved our city, the people in it, and the work that we can do together. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. I have I have a question. Um, he wrote a poem um, that. Uh, we interviewed him about uh, many years ago. It was called Fear, and it happened right after Michael Brown's death. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. In it, he he talked about, in the poem, he talked about the need for change and the need to be a more compassionate society. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people would argue that we are anything but a compassionate society right now. Um, mm. Do you think he'd be disappointed with how things are now? I think he'd be conflicted. Because mm-hmm. yes and no. I mean, I think... We do have a lot of growth, but we've done a lot of things, too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Treasure? I don't know. He and my dad are from a really optimistic generation. Mm. They really challenge me on my cynicism. <laughs> every, You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. Like the every at, at the moment. You know, I, I was just talking to my dad about his experience of the Emmett Till murder mm-hmm. and you know, that was 60, 60, over 60 years prior to mm-hmm. Michael Brown. Mm-hmm. And yet he still was pricked 
to believe that. that we could do better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, I, I have just um, committed an error that only a relatively new person to behind the microphone done. I've let us go over time. Oh. So I'm afraid I have to wrap it up. Although I do want to say that um, Adelia, Michael Castro's widow, called. Yes. She didn't want to go on the air, but she thanked you both and thanked us for um, talking about him today. She's oh, a blessing. It's our pleasure. She's so, such a sweet person. Wonderful. So thank welcome, you both, Tre- Treasure Shields Redman and SAS um, Jason Vassar Elog. Thank you both so much for coming in. Our pleasure. Podcast episodes of St. Louis on the Air are available at stlpublicradio.org, or you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, the Google Podcast app, or elsewhere. I want to thank the Sloda team for allowing me to do this today. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. I'm Shula Newman. Thank you so much for listening.